Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our daily lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and some people who just have fascinating stories. Today, we talk with two notable black women about their thoughts concerning Will Smith hitting Chris Rock at the Oscars. They examine the issue from multiple perspectives, including race. Our guests are path-setting judge Gail Williams Byers and journalist, scholar, and author Dr. Janice Collins. So, Dr. Collins, I, I'd love to hear your position or your perspective with regard to messaging um, on this incident. I will tell you from my perspective, um, it was absolutely stunning the um the instant message that i received when immediately following the incident not knowing that um will smith would win the oscar and on one of the largest stages in the world immediately following that incident he had what i'd like to consider the first best chance to apologize and to sincerely apologize and to apologize even before he said anything else about the award. And he completely blew it, missed it, almost as if it didn't exist. And I think that to young people sends a message about what it means to be contrite, um, what it means to respect your status, what it means to, uh, how it means to treat um, individuals or others. Um, and, and also it sort of underpins that idea that, you know what, why are we fussing so much about officers killing black people? Because here we are, you know, violently, aggressively assaulting each other on one of the largest stages in the world. What are your thoughts? Because I, I, I will tell you, I, I had one of those, you know, mouth wide open moments because I just could not believe he did not seize that first best chance. I agree. I agree with everything that you've said. And like most violent acts that I see on social media and on television and hear about and a podcast and um uh, well, I should say YouTube in particular or Facebook. Um, I think I was first in shock, but because I thought to myself, 
this black man, this man, this entertainer has been in the business for 40 years. He could not have done that. And on purpose, he could not. Because to me, as you were saying the message that it sends, speaks about a lot of things. One, where much is given, much is going to be asked. And so there are certain things. When Black people reach a cert- certain pinnacle, when people reach a certain position, there are certain things that they are they cannot do because of what they stand for. It's not just about them. We're always talking about Black-on-Black crime and that uh, officers, Black Lives Matter, and, you know, officers are the enemy and police officers are the enemy, you know, that type of rhetoric. But then we see out of all the hundreds of years of the biggest stage, the Oscars, the Grammys, you name it, what will go down in history is a Black man rising up because of a joke, whether it was bad or good, because of words on international television, stand up, and assault, physically assault another man, another human being. And not only that, to sit down and then with profanity in front of the entire world, attack again and say, you know, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, now how do we balance that with children? The children that we're watching. When we tell them sticks and stones may break your bones, the names will never hurt you. How do we say now, except for in this situation? Right. Sounds a little thin skinned, right? Right. And, and, and like something was, I felt like he snapped. I was, I was, I was hurt because for 400 years, black people have been trying their best to disconnect and redesign negative stereotypes of blackness. And that includes not being seen and perceived as violent. Or barbaric. Or barbaric, okay. Mm -hmm. And now here we see someone at the top, violent. How is that going to work? And And of course she said, I was really disheartened when he was making an apology and it was awful. It was terrible. It wasn't an apology. I felt that he was just sad because he knew the mistake that he had made. You actually heard an apology? Because I don't know that I ever really heard an apology. He apologized to everyone but Chris Rock. Uh, Yeah. And I will tell you, I hear people, I see people daily who apologize for wrongdoings. And I know when people are contrite, I know when they really mean it, or at least I feel like I can sense it. And I know when people are there just to try to find the door. They say what right. they feel they need to say just to get out the door. And I had no sense at all that there was a lot of sincerity to the apology. Now, was there perhaps a you know, a reflection on, oh my gosh, I think I've really, really messed up? Yeah, quite possibly. But there's no way you can issue an apology without first confronting the person that was the subject of the assault. And that's why I felt like it was so, it was particularly hollow to that degree. Now I can never reach into someone's mind or heart and tell what they're thinking, but I do say that 
that was perhaps one of the most hollow apologies as it never addressed the person that was harmed by it. And you make such a good point when you talk about Black people in particular spending you know, centuries trying to shed this perception of barbarism and the idea that you know, we have no control over ourselves, no physical control over ourselves, no emotional control over ourselves. And I don't dispute that both of these men, both of these Black men have likely had very, very difficult experiences as young Black men. Um, when it comes to maybe mistreatment or bullying or you know, perception, maybe taunting or the like. But, you know, can we just really be honest and fair here when we say, you know, you can almost expect that when a comedian takes the stage that they're going to crack jokes, I mean, you know, and that those jokes may or may not be directed toward you. There's no expectation that, you know, Will Smith as a you know seasoned actor would be so thin-skinned that he would be unable to, you know, sit there and, and take a joke that wasn't directed at him, but was directed at his wife, to wit, he initially laughed and chuckled, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was sort of stunning because I think more than anything, and, and perhaps you can relate to this, Dr. Collins, is maybe he had a flash in his mind of, oh my gosh, the ride home is going to be terrible. Because if I don't say something, this is going to be bad. I thought about that. I thought about that and the fact that because he did it, what I, some of the things I thought about, some of the possibilities, and you touched on that where um, Will Smith uh, was, um, grew up in an abusive um, environment. Um, And so, you know, I felt that when you look at his whole life where he bought this huge house on this huge land by this huge lake, none of it is in his name, meaning it, the name of the house is, you know, her house on the lake. So the lake, the house, the red table in which she has her show does not belong to him. And I think to myself, has this man been emasculated? Has this man been, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of men who are in dysfunctional, abusive relationships. And because they want to do what their father didn't do uh, for their mother because he had to defend women because he couldn't defend his mother. Um, Where you have the perfect storm, where you have Chris Rock, who was abused and teased most of his life. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that's the reason why Chris Rock didn't strike back because he was used to being abused. He was used to being hit. And I'm not saying you get used to it like it's normal, but there is a normalcy where people function in dysfunction. And for this man to get up and do that and and basically risk his career because of a joke that wasn't even directed at him. I said, there's something else going on here. There is something that's not right. You are so right. It is. There's something that belies all of this that kind of, you know, defies. Um, normalcy, just as you said it. And what's so telling is the different reactions that were held by, I would like to say, young people versus more mature individuals or older people. You know, you have, you know, entire groups of young people as, you know, those I've been able to actually listen to over the, the several days following. And there were so many who thought, well, Will Smith's reactions were actually warranted. It was Mm -hmm. chivalrous. It was, and and it tells me that we have not done a great job 
of teaching our young people what chivalry looks like. Mm -hmm. If that is chivalry, then they have no real idea of really what it is and what it looks like. Because this man who, as you just said, spent decades building a career, who's been able to walk into rooms that were, the doors were opened for him by folks who don't look like him, mm-hmm. has now perhaps slammed those doors behind him for some others, mm-hmm. all in the name of this now new notion of what chivalry is. Now, and there were so many, I thought about so many other ways that this same situation could have been handled, right? If Mm -hmm. your wife is so offended and you just had to say something, how about, hey, Chris, funny, not funny. Right. And Mm -hmm. you could have taken an opportunity during your speech. I'm willing to bet donuts to dollars that I don't know if he did or didn't know that he would win. But now that he knows that he's won, he could have taken that opportunity to profess his love to his wife, notwithstanding her disease, to reinfuse her, you know, her her faith in herself and to remind her that she's still beautiful just as publicly as the the joke came across. Because you can dash that bad experience with a really good one because they came right on the heels of each other. You know, Will Smith didn't even apologize to Quest Love and that entire entourage of individuals whose moment he stole by his actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was so selfish. But I, I, again, I, I found it so telling because for young people, for so many of them, they've seen so much violence. And they've experienced so much violence. To them, Mm -hmm. this was commonplace. This Will Smith would have been less than a man in their eyes if he had not responded in the way that he did. He was celebrated for mm -hmm. doing what he did and then walking off and going to a party. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why uh, the responsibility, people who are, the few who are in special positions have a more have more responsibility to watch how their images their portrayals are dictated are designed he had a responsibility as someone an anomaly in a position such as the position that he is still in sort of to not do certain things you you being a judge there are certain things you're not going to do in public. It's just not going to happen because it's not just your name, but it's also the position, the respect that your position holds and the standard that it holds and the excellence that it holds. Mm-hmm. Me as a doctor, there are certain things in the classroom, even though I may be the only black female, even though I may be the only black person, even though I may be only the only female, there are certain things I'm not going to say and do because I dictate, my actions may dictate And whether or not the next person coming after me will have the same opportunity. So I take on that responsibility seriously, as we all do. Um, People who are in prominent positions, in positions that people have died for us to be in. I think that when you talk about chivalry, and I heard it from older women. I've heard it from older men. Yeah, he should have done that. That's exactly what he should have done. And I thought about it. And a lot of the individuals who are older, just like the younger ones, who saw this as chivalry, come from a very violent background. That's number one. 
So that's it's 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 just not that, but it's normalizing violence that we have in this country and everything that we have, all the movies, mm -hmm. all the Netflix. Mm -hmm. We're normalizing all. You know, when we're talking a bit about this, I'm thinking we're talking about alopecia when 132 people we saw 132 people on a flight actually die, just drop out of the sky mm -hmm. on the same day, and I'm like, really? Is this what we're talking about? So we they've we're desensitized, right? There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering that hasn't been healed. And so when they talk about chivalry, when I, the women would talk to me, I said, well, what do you think chivalry is? Because I'm thinking, okay, so they didn't, and I'm not saying um, any hasty generalization, because just because you grew up in a violent um, uh, uh, environment doesn't mean you're going to be violent. Indeed. It doesn't mean any of that. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is that, um, the women who spoke of this chivalry, and let's talk about Black women. I asked them, when was the last time anybody protected them? Mm -hmm. Some of them didn't have a father to protect them. Mm -hmm. Some of them were, didn't feel safe walking from their home to the school. Um, so their chivalry is made up in movies. Their chivalry, um, their learning and understanding is made up in songs. Yes. Um, that are not about chivalry. It's made up about violence. It's made up about, you know, being masculine, defining what is masculine, right? And and, and I think to myself, the, this sounds like people echoing that they wish that they were saved. Yes. And I think to myself, okay, if you talk about chivalry, then I think to myself, Black people, why why are we allowing entertainers to call women, black women, out of their names? Why are we allowing black people for our videos to be hypersexual to the point, you know, things like that we didn't used to see until after 11 or 12 at night. Oh my right? gosh. And they're almost X-rated. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay. So where's the chivalry in there? Mm -hmm. Where's the chivalry in the way that women are being kidnapped and and, 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 and sold into human slavery. And where's that? But this is what you're going to see in chivalry? That you're going to see this man assault another Black man, assault a human being, just pure, just the fact that people thought it was okay to physically assault someone for a joke. I think it's appalling. Indeed. And, the, and, I, and I will tell you that that idea of normalizing violence, again, is so common and it is so commonplace amongst our young people and just about every walk of life. We have so many of them that, as you said, have never had feelings of safety in their own environments, um, have experienced trauma on multiple levels, have many unresolved issues. And they saw that as a moment in time of, of perhaps redemption. There you For go. Sure. That's redemption. how you do it. Yep. That's mm -hmm. how you handle it. Don't, go get them and don't back down. And a large part of it is their own feelings of helplessness in their own situations and circumstances, um, which is so very unfortunate because again, it just sort of underpins that whole idea of messaging. What messages are we sending to these impressionable 
young people who we are expecting to pass the baton to, to in some form of, of life leadership. It doesn't have to be on the big screen. It doesn't have to be in academia. It doesn't have to be in the judiciary, but what an, in whatever lane of life you find yourself on, we're going to pass the baton of leadership to you. And are we saying that when you've just gotten to the, I've had enough point, that it's okay to react and respond that way. You know, I, uh, I sort of see this sort of as the, you know, in some, you know, small way, the, the Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X response. Do we find that sort of peaceful path or do we say, okay, well, you know, fits up, guns out. We're ha- we've had enough. Well, we can't always respond in that manner. And this absolutely was probably, this was the most inappropriate forum for that type of response. And ironically enough, for two men who had experienced levels of abuse as young men. So you've got these little boys that are, you know, hiding inside of these grown, seasoned men who have experienced level upon level upon level of traumatic abuse as young people. And it plays out on the world stage for the whole world to see. And the most unfortunate way imaginable. And that is, that again is so disappointing to the point where you can talk about whether or not there's a power dynamic there. Did, did Will Smith feel like he needed to be empowered um, to help his wife feel empowered? I don't know. Um, I will tell you though that he lost an awful lot of um, brand value. Yeah. By his yeah. very yeah. actions that one, it, all it takes is one action. And I, I had also tell you, I had this conversation with my husband, you know, he and I said, you know, we don't think for three seconds that would have happened if almost anyone else were up on that screen, uh, on that stage. If it weren't Chris Rock and if it were someone like Dwayne Johnson or, you know, Denzel Washington, you know, there's something innate that sort of stops you from doing that. And whether it's because, Hey, this guy's bigger than me, or, Hey, I respect this guy more, or, Hey, this is the money bag. So I'm not going to mess with him, whatever it is. I think it's highly unlikely that that would have happened where almost anyone else, it was almost like picking the perfect victim for all the wrong Mm -hmm. reasons. Absolutely. And I think that, um, there are a couple of things with you, when you you mentioned Will Smith and his brand, right? And we're talking about name, image, and likeness with the athletes now and being able to make money off of their image, right? And mm-hmm. he should be a role model. So when you think about the power that he has, his brand and his image, I absolutely think he was irresponsible. But I also have to say a couple of things come into play. One is symbolic interactionism and how race culture, um, because we have not come as far as we, we should be. Um, when it comes to race relations, um, we're still not there. So we still have to be strategic sometimes and how to explain and how to behave because there's a time and a place for everything, you know? And when I think about, well, you know, you could have gone over and kissed her lovely head and in different places and say, I love you and you're so beautiful and, and say, carry on Chris, but no more jokes. You know, just this, it could have been handled in so many different ways, but I think that, um, I fall, I stop short of blaming uh, to a certain degree, well, to a large degree, actually, because of my feeling coming from a social psychological aspect. Reading about Will Smith's life, when a child goes through trauma, right, and Chris 
Chris Rock, but not just them. They represent a large portion of the human population. And let's talk specifically for the black population. Mm -hmm. They represent um, what it, what happens when you go through trauma, um, your inner child stops growing it and your adult child starts to protect. And so your inner child that can, should play and have a great time, uh, you know, when you become a grown up immediately when you've been molested, mm-hmm. you become a grown up immediately. We have no food to eat and you're going to have to do whatever you have to do to put food on the table because uh, your parents aren't home because they have to work and they're not there at crucial times. And I think that is overall, you know, the breakdown of the black family in a lot of ways where if we don't heal and we don't repair the pain, the pain that we carry with us as we grow up, suddenly when a child, that inner child is hurt, And if that inner child has been in a, or is in an abusive relationship full of microaggressions, Mm -hmm. where this black man can't speak his mind, this black man who was sitting on top of the world doesn't run anything in his house. Not even the name of his house. (laughs) Not even the name of his house. He has to have permission to sit at the red table in the house that he bought. Mm. So when you when you think about it on those levels, and I've heard from black men who said, you know, they're tired of people telling them what masculinity is, number one. Number two, they're angry, they're hurt, they're tired, they feel dismissed. They get the bad rung of everything, you know, the negative, be careful, they're rapists, they're this. And once again, we're looking at the stereotypical image where black people in media are known for in the image portrayals of entertainers. Um, athletes, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was entertainers, athletes, and um, crime. Those are the three over 50 years ago. In <laughs> um, studies and surveys, of, those were the three image portrayals, mainly in the news, mainly in media. And we haven't changed a lot from that time, which is sad. No, even with the Black president. No. There you go. And so I think that, and then you have, then you have young black women who were never protected. Mm -hmm. They were never, I remember being on a stage and talking about, um, you know, a subject and I was saying how great, I was a military brat. So I was able to run and play and everybody knew everyone and I was safe. And, uh, and then one woman, young lady, she came to me, she was probably 20 some, maybe, uh, 28 or so. And she came to me and said, you know, your story sounds so wonderful, but um, I never grew up like that. I was afraid to go from the 12th floor down to the first floor to go to school and, and not be raped. So these are grown women who've had to deal with this pain that mm-hmm. still hasn't been healed. And I'm not excusing uh, what happens because of what happened, because I really look at Will as a broken person. Mm-hmm. There's something where he needs help. And what's really interesting is that when we talk about this and when I've seen it in the news and I've uh, heard about it and I've read about it, there isn't much talk about what centers Black people in that spirituality. You know, Will Smith, whether it's religion or spirituality, Black people are rooted in some type of spirituality. Indeed. And 
it was very ironic to me that Will Smith was talking about God and love, but he did not look and reflect on his action. Was that love? Was that of God? Would God be pleased? Indeed. And I think that part of what we're seeing is, um, is how a situation that started off um, in a negative way 400 years ago, what we're seeing is a situation that's now exacerbated because of all the things that hasn't been done, all the things that should have been done. It's now spilling over. It's now imploding. And this is something that we will not be able to erase from history. And this is something, another pain, where I thought, oh, my God, how many decades have you set us back now? Indeed. Because I want everyone to know, everyone should know. Anytime you're the only one, that means that not only have you been called, but you've been chosen. And that means that whether you like it or not, whether you're on the basketball court, whatever the case may be, you are a role model to other people. Mm-hmm. And if you're a role model to other people, that means that you have the wonderful opportunity to rewrite and write your own history and rewrite the history of your people. If you don't want to be seen as violent, then we need to stop the black on black violence. Indeed. In areas, if you don't, and I'm not blaming anyone, I'm just saying it starts at home. The healing starts at home. But again, you bring up a great point, Judge. Um, when we when we get back to the Will Smith, okay, when you uh, one time in our previous uh, conversations and exchanges, where there was talk about taking away his Oscar. Ah, yes. When we, so let's let's move into that because I don't want it to just be, you know, black on black and that sort of thing, because we know within the infrastructure. So we have symbolic interactionism, which means that people who do not have um, friends who are black males or friends who are black, what they're going to go by are the symbols that we see in society. And That's they'll pick fact. and choose those symbols. That's and right. It, it That's matters not how many positive symbols exist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if there are enough negative ones, even amongst the perceived positive individuals, that's all it takes is the, ah, see, I knew, I knew it wouldn't last long. I, exactly. I, look at that. They show you who they are. Look at them. They're just mm-hmm. naturally violent. Mm-hmm. As if it is a genetic predisposition to mm-hmm. being barbaric. It is not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this was, again, as much as somebody snapping or losing control, um, I, I still am am baffled by even the comments he made at his seat after the physical interaction. I think that was just a little more, that was more than what was necessary. That was an absolute loss of self-control, absolute loss. But But in all of that, as you mentioned, in all of that, I think there could be no mistake And I I don't know a person anywhere who did not believe for three seconds that there would be some sanction, some response, some penalty, some something. And so everyone sort of clutched the arms of their chairs and waited with bated breath to see, okay, what happens now? What is the penalty? And um, and, and no doubt it, it should have been a sanction. 
I don't know all the rules, um, but the severity of the the penalty has has been a ten year ban. I don't know if that's just a ten year ban from the the Oscars or the Academy Awards. So it sounds like more like you know you won't get an invitation for ten years. Doesn't mean you can't work, but you just can't come to the party. Um, and then if that's what, and there may be additional um, sanctions that you know, the, the general public is not aware of. Again, all for the sake of chivalry. Here you go. If chivalry costs that much, then wouldn't you just rather not? If if you could be as impactful in your life and do as much good as he has and had done and can continue to do, do you really need to be pegged as chivalrous in that moment? I, I think you might want to consider passing on that opportunity. Just uh, Just food for thought. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. We're talking about penalties, and one thing that I would like uh, to hear more about is that there actually was discussion about taking away his Oscar. And you you compared that to a predominantly white academy. Let's face it. It's a predominantly white academy. What did they do uh, to Roman Polanski when he uh, raped a minor? Uh, what did uh, they do to Harvey Weinstein, where he serially abused women? Yeah, you know, w- was there the same talk? Was there a double standard, even in consideration of penalty? Could you talk about that? Oh, I think that there is no doubt there is a double standard in even considering um, stripping. Will Smith of his Oscar in light of what we now know has been the gross and abusive and horrific behavior of some other award recipients in the past, who, by the way, were white males. And this also had prompted in the past just entire boycotts of the Oscars because of its lack of diversity, its lack of appreciation for diversity. So there's no you know, there's no mystery here that the comparison is essentially to an all white cohort here. And the idea that there was ever a discussion of stripping him of his award in light of, again, the Oscars that were won by the 
um, Roman Polanski's of the world and the um, Harvey Weinstein's of the world is the definition of hypocrisy, but it's also to be expected um, to some degree. I think, again, you know, Black actors and actresses already realize in so many regards they're in a class by themselves. It is, as Dr. Collins, you've just said, to whom much is given, much is required. The doors only open for Black actors and actresses because more often than not, somebody white is holding it open for them. And those same people that are holding it open for them also hold all the cards to all the rules. And those rules tend to be malleable. And they will exercise just how malleable those rules are when it comes to enforcement um, in instances just like these. And we saw it. I thought it was, again, jaw-dropping for there to be any consideration about taking his Oscar away while the others that were named are still in possession of theirs. And uh, quite frankly, I don't even know that I've heard that Roman Polanski and Harvey Weinstein have been banned from the Academy for any period of time. That's not something that I've heard. And I'm not suggesting they have not perhaps sanctioned them. But it clearly wasn't this public. It took an entire women's movement in order for the industry to even acknowledge and address the atrocities that Harvey Weinstein had rained down on Hollywood. Roman Polanski fought extradition to be held accountable. And yet there was clearly not the outcry that's seen here um, and I'm not, again, not the ban for a decade from the academies. I, I mean, supposedly, I, I suppose any one of them could show up at the party any year they so please. That's disgusting. You know, and, you know, and on top of that, what I think about are two other people. One, they banned Kanye West from coming. Right. Mm. He could not come to the Oscars. Why? That's right. Because the, the things that he said to, about to his protecting wife. his family and about to his wife. Right. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't able to come. I think of that. Wow. Isn't that really interesting? That's number one. Number two, I think about Monique, a black mm -hmm. female comedian. Blacklisted. Who. Uh, who's blacklisted where so we talk about the colonization of the mind we talk about the colonization and internalized colonization so we have to ask our quest our, ourselves this question um are they really truly free just because you're black and you're in america are you truly free because if you're monique and she says i'm not going to play this game black people turned on her yeah, A lot of black people turned on her and said, listen, you need to play the game. We know, you know, the other people who talked about it said, listen, this is how the game is played. This is, this is what you need to do. You need to make sure you can do that. And Monique said, no, I'm not going to do it. And she got her first apology from Lee Daniels, what, two weeks ago, a week ago. Really? He apologized on the stage. Yeah, it, it was an apology. And, but, but she was saying, can you all help me? Because they're not willing to pay me the same equal amount and I've been in this business longer and I've been in this. And so the black male comedians that could have helped her did not and say, yeah, you know, she's right. Um, and I love Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer was the other one who she was getting more money, but it wasn't about Amy Schumer. That's a personal thing. What Monique was saying is in the industry, why can't I be seen as equal? Mm -hmm. Why cannot I not be treated as equal? And there were more on black Twitter and uh, there were more black people saying, oh, come on, Monique. Just do what they tell you. That's being a slave. 
Yeah, that's being and 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 as I say in my book, two hundred fifty years is still a slave. Any person who's still working, check, um, you know, living off of paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, white, black, brown, yellow, red, it doesn't matter, gay, straight, whatever, you're still enslaved in a certain way until you think differently, mm-hmm. until you move differently. So, Will, if he had not been enslaved, he would have thought differently and said, "Okay, this is really upsetting me." <laughs> that he did this, but I'm not going to do it in front of the whole world to see. I'm not going to do that because too much is riding on me. And so I'm going to wait and I'm going to talk to him backstage. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly why I truly feel in my heart and looking at his behavior, that there's more to this story than what we're seeing. And I'm not going to put Jada under the bus either. I felt that Jada has had a hard life. She's talked about it at her red table. And so what happens when you don't heal, and we don't heal as a community, we don't heal as a family, we don't heal as individuals, getting therapy, you know, meditating, trying to be, you know, it's just going to grow, right? And anybody could snap. If you're pushed, Anybody has a capability of snapping just for a second. Absolutely. And, I, and Dr. Collins, and I, you know, in the black community, therapy is taboo. Anyway. Absolutely. And, yeah, so. and it's getting better. It's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is um, the traditional um, therapy. And I have to say with therapy, um, I have to tell individuals that um, not every therapist is meant for you. So when they interview you about your problems, you have to interview them because you really want to be with someone that actually understands you or can understand you and understand your culture. At the University of Illinois, um, a lot of my students um, from China um, did not want to go to therapy, talk to anyone because there were people, there weren't, there weren't any Chinese therapists. So you're talking, you, if you don't understand their culture, you can't give them advice, really good advice that, you know, doesn't allow that, that keeps them, you know, away from their culture, away from their families. You will get advice where they could do both. Right. So I have to, I'm happy to say that they actually hired three um, therapists who happen to be Chinese. Um, so that's a wonderful thing. That that's happened. excellent. Yes, excellent. But I think, oh, go ahead. You were saying something? No, 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 no. You were saying um, it, it is so important to recognize those, um, those touch points when, yeah. when dealing with, with clients, um, but also Absolutely. understanding its impact and how it's at play here. Um, and I think situation. it's... Yeah, and I think it's time that we call for a change in media. I think it's time that we all take responsibility. I think it's time that we should go back to certain words, profanity, hypersexuality, those type of media messages. If it's on television, I think it should be, in my opinion, um, I think it was bad when we deregulated and let everything just kind of go. I think that it should be left for the, for the um, evening hours. We need to find some type of rating system. I think that that would help. I think that any, I think that black people need to call on other black people to not use the N word, or if you're going to use the N word in your music and make millions of dollars by talking about your people and talking about your sisters and your queens and calling them out their name. If you're going to do that, make it after midnight and put a rating on it because it's actually teaching the world about us. When I went to Africa and all these African wonderful stars wanted to make it. There was only one group and I was there for about two months in Sierra Leone. Uh, but I also went to Africana, 
Abuja, Nigeria, and other places in Sierra Leone, there was only one time from one group that I heard the N-word used. And I thought, and and, and that was the one group that wanted to cross over into America. So in my, uh, on YouTube, when you look at um, Journey to My Mother's Land, I show that where I said, that's what Africans are learning from us, that the N-word is okay. They don't even use the N-word in their language. They don't have the N-word in their language. But what are you teaching them? You're teaching them that in order to make it in America, this is the game. You have to use the N-word. That's what I mean by normalizing bad behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I think about the six-year-old who was handcuffed because she was acting like a six-year-old in school. And they handcuffed that child and traumatized her. And I think about that, but then we're not going to say anything when we have violence like this Indeed, in our own communities. I think we have to clean it. And that's why I don't want to put blame on any one person, aggregate, race. I want to say, listen, we've got to come together and we need to heal and repair each other through positive affirmation. We have the ones that have the mic the ones that have the spotlight, I'm sorry, but we expect you to do better. And we hold you to that. You don't have to be um, not human. Of course you're human, but you have to understand the gift and the blessing that it is for you to be in that in that position. So I wonder, Dr. Collins, because I've thought about this myself, even as we sort of look at the unfolding of this situation, and the fallout and everything that's happened. What is the path forward for these two black men for the sake of role modeling, for the sake of media messaging, um, for the sake of um, repairing the damage that's been done? I, I don't think that it's cured in a single sit down. I think that, um, you know, given the fact that there's some indication that, um, Chris Rock intends to sue Will Smith. Um, that is, um, that's an entirely different level of engagement there. But there has to be a path forward. There has to be that healing that you're speaking of. And we can't just let this be one more page in our collective history book that we say, oh, well, we were there, we saw it. And you know, that was just that with no real ending to it. Um, I think that the onus is on those two men to to figure out what that path forward is. But if we could be a fly on the wall or we could sort of be the counseling voice in the room, what do you think that would look like? Um, I would hope that it would be a series of healing conversations, not 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 thinking for three seconds it would resolve in one or even two or three, but it is a matter of recreating a healthy relationship for them to show to the world that they right. even they can get past this because we've mm-hmm. got enough um, fighting that mm-hmm. takes place. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, I thought, um, great question, because I have had this conversation because I'm the type of person that, um, besides talking about things, I actually try to come up with ways that I can help, right? Mm-hmm. And, or they can help or be helped. So one of the things I thought about, and I want to also say, you know, we've talked a lot about Will Smith, but we also both, our hearts go out to Chris Rock, who actually mm-hmm. was the uh, the victim and the target of that. And, and, and how he held it together was just, oh, 
but I felt his pain. I said, oh my God, what is he, how's he going to react? So one of the things that I would have loved to have done. Uh, and how does, how, if he were any other comedian, I mean, my goodness. Right. Whew. Sure. And how about his children? Mm -hmm. And how about his family? Mm -hmm. What are they, they're seeing their own father. But I, I looked at, I, I would want to, um, as I've done many, many times with, um, um, I do healing circles for um, for people, for individuals on the margins and and for black men and black women and that sort of thing. But I would actually would love to sit down or anyone like Inyan La Benzant, uh, someone where we can actually sit down and have a raw conversation. I don't think that all of it has to be um, recorded, but I think that it has there are parts of it where you can actually see how it can be worked out, where we really get to the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. There has to be a very raw, authentic conversation between those two. Mm -hmm. How because the forgiveness, Right. And we, and the forgiveness has to be between those two that I think will actually help. Maybe then they can go out and help other men who have to learn how to express their feelings, be allowed to express their feelings. But I also think that we have to go to the, back to our African roots, if you will. And what I mean by Africa, everyone comes from Africa. So people will take that as they will. But I think there has to be healing circles, as you suggested. I think that there should be a crusade, just like with, they're going to talk about Black Lives Matters. They're going to talk about Blue Lives Matter. They're going to talk about All Lives Matter. Well, I think that there must be a concerted effort. I have to tell you, I don't think there's such a thing as a blue life. I think it's a blue okay. uniform, but it's a, it's, yeah. okay. if you take that right. uniform right. off, okay. you whatever color you are under that uniform. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I agree. Um, and I say that in the thing, how they organize, people organize. So I said, okay, well, this is one thing we can all organize around. Um, healing circles that travel to every state, come together and, and actually let's talk about it. This conversation has to start. We have to have a conversation. There are more black men that have told me, number one, they cannot talk about their emotions. Number two, they don't know how to talk about their emotions. Number three, they feel and have been treated like their emotions don't matter. They are so tired, for instance, of black women saying, I don't need a man. Mm -hmm. I can get my own money. I could get, which women are not saying that to hurt the black man, but it does hurt the black man. But the black man, because of masculinity, won't say it hurts me. It makes me cry. It makes me feel bad. We, I think we need to nurture. We need to heal the black family. We don't have the Martin Luther Kings and, and the Malcolm X. We don't have, you know, the individuals as one that's bringing us all together. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's what we need. And until we get that, I think that we could do it in our own neighborhoods, in our own families that we say enough is enough. We need to start a podcast. We need to start a podcast that could go around and let people come on and just talk about how they feel. And let them, what are we going to do about it? And one of the things I say is when you talk about um, racialized dichotomy, how, what it is to be black, unfortunately in this country sometimes, in this nation, what it is to be black is defined by what it is to be white. What it is to be white is defined by what it is to be black, because that's what's used as a weapon, meaning a black man is allowed to act a certain way and allowed to be portrayed as, you know, we have in some of our music industry or whatever the case may be. Now, as a white man, I'm not going to do that, even though I may feel the same thing, but I'm not going to do that because that's going to make me more like them. And the vice versa, like a long time ago, if an individual, a black person was articulate, they would say, you sound white. 
That's what I mean by the racial dichotomy, where all the Black people I grew up with sounded just like me. So I didn't really understand that. But we have this, this idea, this, this lack of knowledge and ignorance about each other, right? And so I think that because of that, we have to make more of a, take more of a concerted effort to watch our image betrayals. If it is not uplifting our people, I think it needs to be off. I think we need to have a period of time where we're just not going to put any negative Im- images out there if we can help it. Just a, just a period of time. Mm-hmm. A moratorium. A moratorium on negativity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's actually a really good idea. I think the, you know, a, a, a traveling town hall of healing um, is something that is is an idea that should be considered. And as an aside, I, I'm not suggesting that I am anti-police. I'm a, a former prosecutor sure. and a current judge. I, I just believe there's a, a different or better way perhaps to portray support for individuals who wear a blue uniform, just like there's a sure. way to portray support for um, those who wear you know, white coats in hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. But this stuff that on my skin doesn't wash off and it's not a uniform. I don't get to take it off. For sure. So my okay. life is black no matter what. Um, but I think it is so important because, um, and I think that's Tom that, that wanted to get in on this. Um, that, that's all right. I, I We have about 10 minutes left. And uh, by all I'm, means, I don't want to, to stop the conversation, but I do want the two of you, if you would, to talk about the ramifications of this action on First Amendment speech. Uh, Dr. Collins is a, a trained as a journalist. She's practiced journalism. She's a scholar. She's, she's a researcher. Uh, Judge, you've been steeped in the Constitution and use it every day in your courtroom. What does this act say about not just comics, but anybody who exercises free speech? What have we come to as a society in in this result? Now, I think that's a wonderful segue, Tom, because I don't think that this act itself was the segue. I think if we reached back, we could see a a couple different touch points in our, um, you know, historical lens that sort of gave us a, a view, if you will, to things to come. For example, if you'll remember the, um, correspondence dinner that takes place at the White House, the White House correspondence dinner that took place in the, during the Obama administration. And he cracked a joke on Donald Trump, who was sitting in the audience that year. And Donald Trump wasn't too happy. Um, now, that did not result in a physical altercation at all. And I would shudder to think um, how Secret Service might have responded if there was even the thought, the fleeting thought that it would. But the response was for, you know, the soon to be president, next president, um, Donald Trump, to enter the political arena and for his language and his verbiage as it related to his, you know, to President Obama, to other Blacks, to other minorities, to just become all the more amplified. Now, as visceral as that was, and as upsetting as it was, and as, um, you know, unfortunate as it was, it was an opinion that we learned later was actually shared by several people who we might actually see from day to day. So it was an elevated conversation that moved from just chatter and whispers at the water cooler to holding holding the largest stage in the world. 
I mean, with that being the president of the United States. As we fast forward to this situation and this incident, I like to think um, more practically. So we had a black man and we had a black actor and a black comedian, two black men who were engaged in this um, event at the Oscars. And as I chuckled thinking about another comedian who was speaking about this just a few days later, um, where he comically said, um, you know, we're here, we're just a couple comics um, taking shots and telling jokes and we do slap back. So I, what I'd like to think is, that although there is such a thing as fighting words, and to some degree, perhaps there could be some argument made that the statements made by Chris Rock were fighting words, not to Will Smith, but to Jada, who then, you know, you know, enlisted or Will Smith enlisted himself to protect her honor. Um, I don't know that it rises to the level of those really being fighting words. I mean, remember he referenced her as he said he looked forward to seeing her in GI Jane too because of her her hair. Is that fighting words or is that free speech? Um, I think that that specific argument remains to be seen, but I don't think there's going to be a, a large appetite for comics to slow their roll or modify their um, their acts in order to accommodate this kind of behavior, um, especially again, in that, in that light of that invitation of, of violence, because you have so many who would respond by saying, I would have hit Will Smith back. Uh, he hit me. I would have hit him right back then and there. And so I think instead of the free speech argument, what we're really inviting is an atmosphere of more violent interaction to show really who's the boss. And it's unfortunate, but I think that it's absolutely what could become of a situation should this um, become more frequent. Dr. Collins, do you agree? I do agree. And I do. And I believe that if we were to take his words, only his words, there's no argument that violence should not have been a response. Mm -hmm. That's number one. They were not threatening words. Mm -hmm. Number one, I didn't even think about alopecia. I thought she would make a great GI Jane too. And I said, if she does this, no one's going to be able to follow her. I thought I, there I, was a GI Jane too. I started looking it up like, oh, there's a new one coming out and Jada's in it. <laughs> That's Yeah. And I, I didn't get it. And, and supposedly Chris Rock did not know that she had alopecia. That's number one. Number two, he's a comedian. And so they are, give, I mean, from the very beginning, I mean, comedians have said things that hurt people's feelings. I mean, it cringe. I cringe when I see, I go to a roast or I see a roast. I don't care who it is. It's just hateful. It's just bad. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's there. That's what they do. Right. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt your feelings. And I think that overall, again, um, I don't, so I don't think it's an issue of uh, freedom of speech. Um, as far as was the response from Will um, justified? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I think that Chris Rock made a joke and there was an assumption. And because of that assumption, someone else took action. Okay. And, and we know it's not really about chivalry. We know that. I mean, when it comes down to it, we're going to find out what it really is. Whatever's in the dark is going to come to come to, come to light. And it was not about, because Jada's not, a. I mean, okay, so I'm, you know, J, okay, that's his wife, but I thought that she could take it. I met Jada. She came on one of my shows when I was in Atlanta. She's an awesome woman. And I actually thought, I saw her laughing. 
And then she kind of rolled her eyes, but that she's tough. She's tough. I didn't think it was that big of a deal to her. So something else again is going on. So I think when you talk about the the what I what I get concerned about is when people use freedom of speech to actually hurt people, to actually storm uh, the Capitol, to actually hurt a student on campus. To march in Virginia, Charleston, and with tiki torches, and mow down people with your cars, Mm -hmm. and and say it's freedom of speech. And I look at it like this: just because you have freedom does not make it right. You don't, just because you have what we call freedom does not entitle you to do whatever it is that you want to do. So I believe that we have to be careful not to become more uncivilized than we already are. Across this nation, we need more love. We need, need more unity of coming together. We need more inclusion. Uh, of equity in this diverse population across the board. Just because there's freedom, just because someone hurts your feelings, doesn't mean that you can hurt them, kill them, touch them because they are a different sexual orientation. They're a different race. And, and, And because of though, we're inundated with all of these messaging of violence that we're actually becoming more violent. We're actually saying, oh, it used to be the news people used to talk about and say, oh, only two people died in that car accident? Where there's five over here, let's put that at the top. Where they said, if it bleeds, it leads. And people used to blame the news for that. Now, there are people, mothers, fathers, who set up cameras when they're about to beat up a child who made fun of their child coming home from school. And you can see the whole fight as it's happening live. That's sad. And we have to put a stop to this. We have, because we're, it's not going to get any better until we actually put a stop to this. And what's going to change that? Above all policy, law, people. Behind every law, there's a person. Behind every gun, there's a person. Behind every joke. So until we become kinder, and become, until we become more thoughtful, and more American as together, one nation under God, then we're going to have a problem and our freedoms are going to be exploited um, in, in ways that we, we it's going to be hard to come back from. So I'll leave it at that where, you know, even our freedoms can be taken for granted and exploited and corrupted in ways that fit a particular agenda um, uh, that can be personal. Um, it could be, uh, you know, marketable because we live in a, in a place of capitalism, that is just not good for humankind. We must be kinder to one another. I really believe that that's the beginning of it. We must be kinder to one another. So I'll, I'll leave it at that for me. And I think that's a great place to leave it. Dr. Collins, again, thank you for thank you, coming Tom. on and, and speaking your mind. And Judge Gale, as always, thank you for your participation and and your very thoughtful comments. I'm always honored. Thank you. Thank you for the platform, Tom. Great show. Mm -hmm. Today, we've been talking to longtime jurist Judge Gail Williams-Byers and author, journalist, and scholar Dr. Janice Collins about the Will Smith-Chris Rock debacle. 
Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback and your comments, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.